we are looking at this and looking at some of the people in the Bible that as a whole we may not know about. In fact, I was talking to Lulu last night and had mentioned this guy we're going to talk about today, Stephen. She's like, Stephen's in the Bible? I've never even heard of Stephen. Who is this Stephen? And I said, well, you're going to learn about him tomorrow. And so I began to tell her a little bit about Stephen and what Stephen did and some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. But that's the whole point of this best supporting actors is not everything awesome did God do through a Moses or through a Paul or through an Abraham. God used regular people like you and I all throughout the Bible. And God saved up those stories for us, sealed them up in the Word of God so that you and I can learn from their places of walking in obedience of how you and I can move forward in our relationship with God. Now today, we're going to be looking at the life of Stephen. And Stephen's life shows us how to get through the toughest of situations with grace and strength. Now that's one of the things that a lot of times it's, it's kind of easy to, to walk in things when, when everything is uh, laid out nice and pretty and easy. When everybody's smiling at you nice. When everybody's happy to work with you and, and so wants to be cordial and wonderful. But I tell you what, the stuff that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, the stuff that's the really the rubber meets the road, man, that's the stuff of when things aren't quite as pretty in life as we wish they were. And how we walk through that, that's when the God's grace really shows up in our lives. And we're going to look at the life of Stephen because I'm telling you, he did, he, he's just this beacon of hope that you and I, through the power of the living God on the inside of us can deal with any situation that comes our way. Go ahead and take your Bibles. You brought them and open them to, to Acts chapter 6. The, it'll be up on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible. But uh, Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look at the, this first part of the story with the verses 2 through 5. And remember, this should sound familiar to you because we have already talked about one of these guys that's in this story, Philip, a few weeks ago. And now we're going to talk about Stephen. He says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The, the word is, is what is God's, is the Bible, God's teachings. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They chose these men and... Stephen was one of the ones in the group. And the very first thing we learned about Stephen right off the bat is that he was full of faith. Stephen was absolutely full of faith. Now, Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, too many times people have this... Uh, kind of crazy concept of what it means to to have faith in god and a lot of times people can then get things worked up and that faith is some some 
something that you just got to work on and just with your all your your little spiritual muscles just grunt real hard and hopefully out pop some faith or something no it's not that at all we operate in faith all the time faith is just trust faith is just that's why our mission statement is that we help people to know god better and to trust him more we're called to live a life of faith that is what God has wired us for and drawn us into. And as we know God better, then it's so much easier to trust Him more. That we trust Him more than we trust our own experiences. We trust Him more than we trust other people's opinions. We trust Him more than we trust anything else. And that is, honestly, that is what living a life of faith is. Faith is just placing what God has said as the ultimate. That if God has said it, this is it, and this, there's, there's no debate. This is what it is. And a lot of times it's expressed by having to put our actions that are difficult on the line. Sometimes it goes against our, our human selfish nature. Most of the time it goes against our human selfish nature. Now there was a, uh, a letter, a little note that was found in a certain part of Nevada, in the desert there. This desert was actually named, its, its name actually means bitter, because it was just a nasty place. And as people were moving from the, from the east and moving to California, then part of them, if they went far north in the northern part of Nevada, they would cross, and then after they went through this part of the desert, the first thing they came to were, and I kid you not, the Funeral Mountains. And on the other side of the Funeral Mountains was Death Valley. Now, this sounds like something out of a Tolkien book or something, you know, the, the Funeral Mountains and through Death Valley. I mean, no, these are serious places you can go visit today. You can get a summer on your vacation. You can go climb the Funeral Mountains and drive through Death Valley if you want to. And uh, they're still on the map. It's still a place. Well, there was, because people would travel through this area, there was this old water well that was there. And uh, back in, this note was found that was connected to the year 1932. And there was this little hand pump water well for people that would come across. And in this little uh, baking powder can hung from the handle was a note. And I'm going to read you the note that was found connected to this handle. <clears throat> it says, this pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of, <clears throat> out of, the, sum, out of the sun and put a cork in it. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about one-fourth to let it soak and wet the leather. Then pour the rest... <clears throat> in about medium fast and then pump like crazy and you'll get water the well has never run dry when you get water fill the bottle put it back where you found it for the next person so as this person as whoever was coming across and having to move into this desolate area in desperate need of water they found these instructions that there was this supply of water here but they had to go through this process of taking what that in their minds could be the last little bit of water that they would ever see. 
And instead of consuming it on themselves, pour it down the drain, down in the oblivion of this well, and believe that this thing is actually, when it's all said and done, is actually going to bring out enough water and bring life to them this whole time. When it feels like they're just pouring it all away. So many times in our lives, we look at what the, the Word of God has said. And it feels like that's the way it is. We're supposed to love our enemies. I'm just dumping my love down an empty well. How am I ever going to get any of that back? We want to give our love to somebody who's going to give love back. I mean, you're not supposed to love my enemies? Wait a second. God, you've said in your word that, that you want us to, to obey you and to give, to be givers. But God, my, you know my checkbook. You know my finances. How am, I, how am I supposed to do this? You actually want me to trust you and take some of this and, and bless some missionary or, or bless somebody's life or, or give some of this to the church and you're actually you're going to... You're going to make it where all my needs are met? Yes. As we go through life, we begin to see that so much of God's truth in living, where God's blessings are poured out in our lives, actually takes this act of obedience. And Stephen was one who was full of faith. He was willing to hold God's word to the standard. It didn't matter what the circumstances looked like. He held God's word up as the truth. See, 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith as we trust in God. See, there are two realities. God's word says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. And every day we wake up and we're choosers. And so what we do by taking our Bibles and sticking it, we find out what God has to say on the subject. And God always points us to life. And we're able to choose life and walk in that. Sometimes it feels contrary. Sometimes it feels like we're working against ourselves. But God's word is always truth. God always wants to bless our lives. See, there's the African Impala, Maya, in-laws love to go and do safari they're going to go on like their fifth safari this summer and just have all these heads all over their house and they have multiple impala that they've shot these little impala now impala are incredible animals and these little these little antelope <coughs> can jump 10 feet high i mean these suckers can jump i mean their their little feet can clear what all these nba guys and all the all the final four guys and all this all the what they're dunking this little animal is jumping over the top of that rim. I mean, this little sucker can jump. can also jump 30 feet out. I mean, this, this thing is just huge. So you'd, but you go to a zoo, and you see the pollen. They don't have these, like, 15-foot-tall walls or 30-foot moats or all this stuff. They can sit, and they can hold an impala in with this, like, 15-foot-deep moat, keep them away, and a three-foot-tall wall. This Impala can leap out to freedom and go run around, go get him some peanuts in the zoo, go have a blast, go, go do whatever he wants, go visit the other animals in the zoo. He can just have his run around the zoo all he wants. Now, why does the Impala, with all of that capability, stay in his little part of his, the zoo? It's because there's one messed-up little part of the Impala, and the Impala will not jump 
where it cannot see where its feet are going to land. And that 15 little feet and that three-foot little wall obscures, and it can't see the ground on the other side. And in its mind, that could just be a deep hole into oblivion, and it's just jumping itself into nothingness. So it stays trapped because it can't see on the other side. See, so many times we hit places in our lives where it's hard to see that God, that we're going to be able to get out of this. But God's word tells us if you do this, the results are there. That's where faith comes in. It says, God, I can't see on the other side of the wall, but you say the landing is good. So therefore, I'm going to go. Not because of what I see or not because of what I've come up with, but because of what you say is true. Your word is true. Everything else <clears throat> is subject to change, but God's word is true. God has designed us to live a life of faith. Matthew thirteen fifty eight. We have Jesus who was there ministering and he was limited because and not being able to do many works. It says thirteen fifty eight says he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now this is Jesus, God in the flesh. You'd think that he would just be able to override it. No. You and I are choosers. Our will is still involved. And when Jesus came into that part of Israel, he could not do many miracles. Why? Because of their lack of faith. They just thought, man, that's carpenter's boy. We know that guy. He's nothing special. Next thing we see is that Stephen reflected God so well that even those who did not like him saw it. Now that's pretty incredible when even people who don't like you can still see godliness in your life. You know, you're, you're reflecting God really, really well when that's happening. We look at Acts chapter 6, verses 12 and 15. It says, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. We're going to take a little time out. That Stephen had been preaching. God had been moving in Stephen's life. Stephen, there had actually been miracles taking place through the ministry of Stephen. Now remember, Jesus has already died and, and, and rose again and gone to heaven. These miracles are happening through Stephen, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Stephen's life. The miraculous healings, all kinds of cool stuff. Guess what, God, we still have a miracle working God. That's so cool. And so and with all of this happening, they had already tried to kill Jesus and take him out. So now they're, they're attacking the disciples and these, these uh, Jewish leaders had attacked Stephen and they're dragging him before the Sanhedrin, which is their big court. And so they're mad at him. And then we jump over here to verse 15. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They drag him into court. They're ready. They've made up stuff. They've already lied about the guy. They're bringing him in. They want to string him up. They want the death penalty for him too. But yet when they look at him, they say, he's got the face of an angel. I'm telling you, the love of God had to be showing up in that man's life in such huge, huge ways. He was 
reflecting the love of God. I'm telling you, that's one of the things we want for our lives, that even people who dislike us, people who disagree with us, would still see the love of God showing up in our lives, that they would not be able to argue with the love of God. They may not like our beliefs, they may not like our certain slants on things, but they would not be able to argue, wow, there's a people of love. Because I'm telling you, people are watching. Even when you don't realize it, people are watching. I got a rude awakening my senior year in high school. And uh, I had been at, I went to Permian and uh, went to a football game and I wasn't really watching the game at this point and just hanging out with all the other students. Now I had gone to school from elementary school all the way up with this one guy. We were never friends. We had probably spoken three sentences together. We had not shared classes somehow, even going through elementary school, junior high, high school, all this, not had a class together, had not just knew this guy's name. This guy knew my name. And we're sitting there in class. Now, he remembered me, and we went to elementary school together. Now, whenever I was in the fourth grade, I was very zealous for God. I was really excited about God and and, uh, loved to pray for people. And I took my little uh, Gideon New Testament. I took that with me to to school, and I carry that with me. And uh, I'd sit there and I'd be sharing the gospel with people, be sharing how much God loved with my classmates and all this stuff. And so I got to be known as the the little fourth grade preacher boy. And I got in trouble by my fourth grade teacher uh, because she did not think it, she thought it was really inappropriate that all the little people who were boyfriend and girlfriend in fourth grade, then they wanted the preacher to marry them. (laughs) And so we'd be out on the playground and they would ask me to do their ceremony. And uh, so I was like, sure. So I took my, I knew that, the, that they would have their little books. I didn't know what was going on with that. So I'd take my little New Testament and I'd just flip it to something and I would just read a couple of scriptures that had nothing to do with marriage or anything. And then I'd say, all right, you, I now pronounce you man and wife and you can, you can kiss. You know, they would kiss. And, and uh, so I, I did about three weddings one week. And... Uh, uh, my, my, my teacher got wind of that, and boy, she was just like, you know, you have just trashed the union of marriage. You know, this is just horrible. This is between people who are, who, you know, and she was right. You know, I, I had no business uh, doing that. But um, anyways, that was who I was in the fourth grade. You know, I was just this preacher guy and carried my little Bible and uh, all that. And life began to happen slowly over the course of the years. And from fourth grade till I'm sitting here in my senior year in the football stadium there at Permian. And something happens. I don't remember if somebody did something in the stands or something happened on the football field or what. But something happened, and I was there with my buddies. And I just, I just cussed. I just, you know, dropped the F-bomb, and I'm just going off at the mouth. And, and something, and all of a sudden, the guy about on the same bench as me, about four people down, goes whoosh and looks down at me. He says, Brandon Clark, did you just say that? And I said, yeah. And he said, man, he said, you used to be such a blankety-blank holy roller. You're finally one of us. Oh, I mean, that just, that just cut me to the bone, ruined the rest of my evening, ruined the rest of my week. And it just, I had no idea 
that that guy had paid that much attention, that that guy had equated my life with that. And he obviously didn't like it. He didn't like it because he was, I used to be a blankety-blank holy roller. He didn't like who I was in the fourth grade, but he still saw it, remembered it, had watched it, and then all these years later felt free from the conviction because I had walked away from that life and I was finally one of them and all the pressure's off. See, there are people, whether they like us or not, our lives are being viewed. Not from this high pressure, ooh, you're under the microscope thing, but just from the understanding that we have the awesome privilege of representing God everywhere we go. It's not this weight and this burden that, oh, I've got a, I'm Jesus everywhere I go. No, it's that people are watching. So we need to be aware of it. People notice, not that we're not allowed to be human, because we are, not that we're carrying this weight on our lives, but we have the wonderful privilege that even people that may not talk to us or care about us are watching our lives. And Stephen was able, even with the people who did not like him, he was able to be seen with the face of an angel. See, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You and I are reflecting God as we are being changed. God is shifting us and doing this work on the inside of us. Little by little, there's some of us falling off and more and more of God being revealed in us and we are reflecting Him with ever-increasing glory as we are transformed. It is an awesome, awesome thing to allow God to be expressed in our lives. It's not a heavy thing. It is a wonderful privilege. Another thing we see is that Stephen knew who he was. And Stephen kept his focus on God even in the toughest of times. We look at Acts chapter 7 verses 54 and 55. It says when the, they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So here are these people gnashing their teeth at him. And him, being full of the Holy Spirit, just looks up to heaven. He kept his focus on God. And Saul, God and Jesus, had, a, had an open vision. Saw God and Jesus there. He kept his focus on God. Acts seven fifty nine says, And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, why did Jesus, who's looking at him, we know it's not like Stephen slept out of Jesus' peripheral vision or something. He's seeing Jesus stare right at him. And people are hitting him with rocks to take his life. Why did God not stop it? Put a little force field around him. And all the little rocks, bing, 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 bounce off. And him not be able to do it. Why not? I don't know. I don't know. I do know this. I do know that even as the rocks were being thrown, that Stephen kept his focus on God. And God loved him in that moment. And Stephen loved God in that moment. And it is a beautiful, glorious thing. See, 
as I was growing up, I remember my pastor, <coughs> my parents passed this on to me that uh, he gave instruction as his daughters were leaving to go on their dates and to do different things and always told them this. He says, remember who you are and who you belong to. See, Stephen remembered whose he was and who he belonged to. He did not question. All of a sudden, I've fallen out of the graces of God. God doesn't love me anymore or people would not be hitting me in the head with rocks. He still knew that God was for him, that God loved him, and even said, God, receive Jesus, receive my spirit. See, he knew he was the child of God. Even when things were going ugly and tumultuous, he still knew that God was for him. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. They hated Stephen. Why? Because they hated the Christ that he followed. And Stephen there kept his eyes on God. Even though the hate that they viewed was not hate for Stephen. It was hate for Jesus who he proclaimed. They were hating Jesus all over again. Right there in the personification of Stephen. Galatians 3.26 says you are all sons of God through faith. In Jesus Christ. We have to remember who we are. And who we belong to. As we go through life. We have that we are. God's children. I don't care how ugly it gets. We are. God's children. And then the last thing we see through Stephen's life. Is that Stephen forgave. Even when no one. Asked for it. Even when nobody asked for forgiveness. He walked in this incredible thing of forgiveness what a freeing place when no one can offend you so deeply that you can't forgive them how incredibly free that person is the most free person on the face of the planet oh it is so awesome let's look at acts chapter 7 verse 59 through 60 it says while they were stoning him stephen prayed lord Jesus received my spirit and then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Yeah, I don't know about you, but my nature would be as they were stoning me, Lord, you see this, get them. Get them. You've done it before. I've read the Old Testament. Hellstones took people out. You got stuff up your sleeve, just give people the willies. God, give it to them. That's not what he was doing. It is a totally different dispensation. It's a totally different time. God's love for humanity was being shown even through Stephen. He says these people are yelling at him, gnashing their teeth at him, and throwing rocks and killing him. He says, Lord, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Now, I've shared some pawpaw stories with y'all before. My grandfather's a golfer. And uh, being out on the golf course as many years as he's been, he's been out there long enough and hit enough golf balls to get two hole-in-ones. It's pretty rare. 
Well, honest, being out, you're out there that long, beat the odds. You also, every once in a while, you're, there's enough golf balls flying around, you're going to get smacked. And sure enough, my go- grandfather was out on their old number one tee box in Andrews, Texas. And would you believe the old boy hit it and towed the ball and nailed my grandfather right in the chest with a driver. I mean, boom. And, uh, I mean, just nailed him. And he would, for months, would sit there and tell and he would he'd tell that story. When he would tell it, he'd say, yeah, the old boy, he hit it off the number one tee box. And, and he hit it, and then it came, boom! And he goes, oh! And he said, and I still got the bruise. Now, this was six months after the event. And finally, said, Papa, when you tell the story, don't hit yourself so hard. The bruise you have now is not the first bruise. That's not the golf ball bruise. That's the storytelling bruise. And honestly, people, you know what? When people wound us, it hurts. And that first bruise, that initial wound, it hurts. And there's no two ways about it. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. We get our hearts broken. It happens. But you know what? Years later, that broken heart isn't their fault anymore. I'm not defending them at all. They may have done horrible, terrible things. But in Christ, we have the ability to forgive. If Stephen can forgive in the moment of him being executed, we can walk in forgiveness. So many times, the wounds we carry are not the wounds that were given to us. They're the wounds we re-inflict on ourselves every time we relive that, every time we call it our own again, every time we nurse it, every time we go through it and sit there and go, oh, it still hurts as bad as the day I got it. Because we refuse to turn it loose. We want to call our wounds and identify with them and make them ourselves. And that's not the God we serve. God wants to free us from that. But we have to choose, like Stephen did, to forgive. Even when they don't ask for it. How can I forgive? I haven't seen them. They're dead. How can I forgive a dead person? I never had to confront. I never got closure. Forgive. Choose. I don't feel for you. It still makes me mad. Maybe so. But choose. The worst thing in the world is not the first wound. The worst thing in the world is to live in a prison of unforgiveness because of that wound. That's the real tragedy. Jesus Christ has come to set us free, and we don't have to live in a world of unforgiveness. We don't have to live caged up. We don't have to. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. See, to be able to walk in forgiveness. See, Stephen did it because he was full of the Holy Spirit. For us to get full of the Holy Spirit, we've got to embrace God and accept Christ and be reborn. And then we say, God, fill me with your Spirit. And then we can walk and live in a life being full of the Holy Spirit and be able to forgive. But we can't get to that place until we embrace the forgiveness God has given us in Christ. So just as we're winding up here, I'd appreciate if everybody would bow your heads and close your eyes because we want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to receive, to get in the starting block. 
You can't get to that place of forgiving those wounds and forgiving those hurts 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 and forgiving those hurts. 